When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, it's Yasser and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, slightly different, and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format, and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at thecoachesnet. Once again, that is at the coaches net and of course if you have a question feel free to send that in too hope you enjoy the new format the coaches network bringing the game together hey guys you're now listening to the coaches network podcast a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete talent and personal development my name's coach yas and i'm a UEFA a licensed football coach coach developer and content creator i'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys their life lessons and how you can make an impact enjoy Obviously, last week we talked about well, why do I need a game model, part of, a, part of this game model series that we're doing. This week we're looking at where do I start in creating my game model. So talk to me, what are your thoughts going straight away with this one? Well, I just want to touch on something that we discussed briefly last week, not to because to try and link it a little bit. You know where we said, like, why do I need one? And I know there's this debate about what it looks like at different age groups or where it's applicable, but I think that sort of leads into why do I start or where do I start with, with creating one? Because I think we've also got to think about who's in front of us. That's the first question I have in my mind, Yaz, is who's the, the players or the player in front of me that I'm effectively creating this for? You know, and then where I sort of start is, and perhaps a good place to start, is thinking about not just the, the sort of structure of the game in terms of what makes the game the game, so, you know, what makes the game the game? We play mostly with our feet. It's directional. We attack one end, we defend the other. In order to score goals, you've got to be really effective. In, Of course, you can, you can score goals through mistakes and own goals and things like that. But typically, you've got to be able to have a, 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 an intelligent use of possession. I think most of us would agree. You've got to... You've got to be able to utilise possession, although there can be goals scored outside of that remit. But effectively, you're trying to control or dominate possession. It doesn't always mean you have to have the most possession because there's teams that score that don't have the most possession in, the years, in, in any game at any level. But effectively, you've got to be able to move the ball and play forward to score. So then I start from that framework of really thinking about the simplicity of the game. So in attacking... How can we look to go forward? What's the best option to go forward? And then from defending, how do we stop their ability to go forward? And what we'll end up doing is you'll end up creating a series of not only moments, 
whether it's when we've got the ball, when we haven't got the ball, transition in between from defensive, offensive transitions. But you could go into more detail, which I, I want you to ask me about later, but I think then you start to layer the, the, the principles and it's got to link back to your language. I think this is quite an in-depth answer, to be honest with you, because I, I don't think it's something that we can just say, here's, how you, here's where you start and go from there, because there's so many factors to it. The more I think about it, you know, I've started off with that simplicity of, well, what makes the game the game? And then how do we think about the structure of the game to create that model of moments and principles and then effectively player actions of how players can operate within that structure? So when to pass, when to dribble, when to shoot. And effectively, it's like a roadmap. And this is what we did with with a lot of the teams that I've worked in. It's what I've done at Sporting and um, even with US Soccer. But I think there's another wider question here, which is whatever your theoretical sort of beliefs are or your, your pedagogical concepts, that will influence your game model. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, it's like... So, like, if you're... You know, I've got, obviously, a, a background you have as well. You've done your Masters. We've got a camp in... A foot in both camps. We've got the academic and the theory, and then we've got the practical... So if I look at like from a pedagogical standpoint of from my perspective, I believe in like nonlinear pedagogy. You're learning at different rates. I believe in dynamical systems, which is that you know the, the performers are interacting with the environment, they're utilizing information to come up with their own adaptable movement solution. Perception and action is coupled, and the game itself is unpredictable, random, and forever changing. Well, because I have that paradigm that pedagogical belief that concept that influences how i coach that in turn will influence how i view where i start my game model and the reason why i say that is because whether you accept it or not whoever's listening you will have a pedagogical concept you might not call it that but you will have a belief you'll have a belief whether it's you know you think that you have to you know, I'm being blatant here, Yaz, and feel free to interrupt me at any point, but like, if you, you know, whether it's to drill the hell out of the players because that makes them better, that'll be a belief, you know, and it and it's through social and cultural and experiences that shape us as coaches, right? The environments that we work in. There'll be some that believe, no, you have to get technique right. You have to develop technique and then over time you can add more opposition, which in turn... Um, will lead to better decision makers because you can prepare in a game. I don't agree with that concept, but that is a concept. That's a progressive model. Well, the reason why I'm saying this, Yaz, in terms of where do I start, it's probably not a direction most people thought it would go in, but I think it's important is because depending on what your belief is, that will influence in turn how you view the game. Because if you think the game is, I can control it, well, then your game model will probably be more pattern-based. You'll talk about principles, but really you'll you'll design a game model, which is something you touched on in the last episode, which was really powerful, about when you mentioned about like rigid structures and where do we go with it? Is it rigid or is it flexible? Is it, this is the way I play, irrespective of the opposition, and I'm going to be the source of information. We're going to tell the players how to play and what to do in these moments and in these situations. And they're going to have clear roles and responsibilities. Well, that's one way of doing it. And it's not to say that it's bad. It's just a way, right? But then there'll be 
you know, myself, I, I don't know where you are in this camp, but like myself, I'm thinking, well, as soon as the players cross the white line, yes, I can influence their decisions, but I personally don't want to coach the player on the ball. I do believe that the game belongs to the players. I do like players being unpredictable. And there will be times where, you know, you probably heard it cringingly in the last one, where it's like, hey, you need to stop that forward pass. You need to... There will be times where absolutely you have to give information to players. But I'm not joysticking those kids. In fact, those kids like the other day in that game, I had my centre-back stepping into midfield. I didn't tell him to step in. He just recognises he's got space and he steps in. And that was one of our principles with our game model. Can you break a line with a dribble or a pass? How do you do it? So he stepped in and he just kept going. <laughs> he just kept going, Yaz. And he ended up as a bloody striker. But then somebody else had to recognise, well, I've got to fill in here because if he keeps bombing on, we're going to be out of shape. We've literally got one at the back. And that might be okay. Like, for, So it all comes back to like, what is your belief system? And if you've got a system that you recognise that the game is unpredictable, which we all probably do, but then some might want a more, in their own way, to understand the game, make it a bit more prescriptive and a bit more patterned because then they can control how they view it and how they diagnose certain problems to then construct solutions from it, well, then that removes the decision-making from the players. Whereas I I would rather have a a paradigm which is more like, we're based on principles of play, but we're encouraging the principles of players when we've got the ball in possession to search, discover and exploit space through their interactions. And then when we're trying to regain the ball, how you're closing those spaces, how you're minimising and reducing the opportunities for players to be able to play forward and win the ball back. So that that's where I would start. I would think about, well, what's my pedagogical? And then from there, I think you can start to get to, well, what's your football concepts? What are your principles of play? Because if you're at Liverpool breaking lines will mean something and it might mean similar to what I'm saying it might not I don't know you know so it's like then you'll start to get into what's a common language and I'll probably take a pause here yes because I know there's a lot in there but I think that's where you do start is just in summary what's your pedagogical sort of view do you have a view of how you think the game should be played right and how you should coach it and then in turn that's going to influence what your beliefs are around that that system but more importantly, how players operate within that system. Are they operating within freedom? Are they not? Are there moments where there are freedom and others where it's not? It's quite black and white. Which one is it? And then that will in turn then shape, as I said in summary, like what your football concept is and then effectively what your language is. And then I think that's where we have to get to, is what's that common language, that, that vocabulary that we're using. And then we can build the, the model from there because then you'll be able to go into, you know, when you ask me another question, it'll be able to go into more, well, here's what it looks like when we've got the ball. Defend, you know, uh, offensive to defensive or defensive to offensive transition, defending. But what about restarts? What about kickoffs? What about, um, you know, corners? What about other set pieces? So, like, there's more moments of the game, there's more factors, and how does that influence your game model? What's your thoughts, Yaz? I know there's a lot to, to unpack there. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's brilliant, man. There's so many different directions you can go in straight away, right? I think um, I'll, I'll try and pick out what are some of the, I think, the key things for me in that, what you've just said. 
think one, that pedagogical approach, I think is really important that we look at that. How do players learn? What do we believe about how players learn and what that should look like in practice? I think um, I think it's really important that, yes, you know, I think you highlight you've got a foot in both worlds, right? Just the world, the world of coaching itself and the world of academia. Um, I think this is often where it can kind of get a bit confusing and, and challenging for coaches to really be on the same page sometimes. So I think just... Yeah, in layman's terms, how do you players learn? What are your beliefs around how players learn? Um, I think in terms of where you start, you know, I think you're right. In terms of what do you, how do you, how do you think the game should be played? What does it look like for you in terms of the way the game is played? I think that's really important. But it's interesting. I had a conversation with someone recently about this, and um, was talking about, you know, in football, it's, it's almost like one of the the few industries probably that doesn't just have a universal framework an agreed universal framework you know as an example if I'm I don't know a surgeon <laughs> there's a way there's a way that needs to be done depending on what the operation is right um, if I'm a lawyer there's certain legislation and certain fo- and rules that need to be followed and you've got the laws of the game in football of course but when it comes to coaching and what should be kind of really highlighted on it doesn't really there's still a kind of debate around things like the principles of play as an example, right? In terms of whether they should be followed to a T, whether they actually do dictate the game and the way that it should be played. And, um, there's obviously differences of opinion on that. But I, th- I think fundamentally, in my opinion, that you have, you have to start with that. You know, that is where you need to start with the principles. And then looking at not the principles individually, but looking at the principles of well, how, do, how do you want your team to play how does that then link into the principles? So, as an example, if you look at the in-possession principles and you say, right, well, I want my team to play in this way. Well, all you're really doing is just, you're just picking a series of ways or methods in which you want the, those principles to be demonstrated by your team. And I think if you can do it that way and link those, you know, pull out the principle, whichever ones you're looking at, and just say, well, how would I want my team to operate with that you know, function around that principle? How would it look practically? Um, it's probably a good place to start. And obviously then that will start to kind of really shape, okay, a framework, a, you know, a game model, but around the game principles. And it's not to say that you're incorrect or, or correct for doing any one thing, but if you're basing it on those principles, there's always, there's always a, there's, there's, there's always a structure to follow in some capacity. I think beyond that is then looking at, I think it was Bruce Lee that you know said a quote once, and he said, "You know, my technique is in response to your technique," and it kind of goes back to what you're saying. The, ge- the game is full of information, right? Um, we can have pattern practices, we can have pattern patterns of movement that we want our teams to operate within, but even then, they're fundamentally they're going to be res- they're going to be techniques that are responding to a technique, i.e., they're going to be responding to certain situations that the opposition have put them in to to operate within that technique, right? And that that pattern, so. As an example of that, if the team's sitting deep and defending on the edge of the box, you're not going to lump it in there, are you? You're probably going to build up the play and try and, try and or I'd like to think so anyway, at least the way I would do it. You probably would try and commit them out of, out of shape and out of position so that you become disorganised. Now, if the pattern that I'm trying to operate within is in response to a particular setup that they've got and they don't respond in the way that I require to get the pattern to work at its best, then for me, I'd want my players to operate in a different way. So it comes back to the principles, right? So if you're if you're playing towards the principles of the game, 
you know, there's only so many there's only so many situations that actually occur within the game itself. So you're not actually having to reinvent the wheel so much. You're just having to study the game and find out what the probabilities of certain scenarios. Obviously, there's going to be times where that breaks away, and that's where you get the creativity and innovation within players and teams and the way they operate. But fundamentally, whatever you're looking to do is in response to a team's way of playing as well. And I think we can't we can't overlook that. So it's start with the principles for me. Um, what do those principles look like for you in the way that you want your team to play? Or rather, in the way that you want your team to play, does it align to the principles? So if I am a team that wants to play out from the back, that's great. That's a way that I want to penetrate. Fine. If I'm a team that likes to go long, fine. That's a way that I want to penetrate. That's absolutely fine. But what are the trade-offs? When will it, when will it likely work for me? And when will it not likely work for me? And on my plays... Uh, competent and aware enough to be able to recognise the subtle differences of when to do what. And this is the interference and this is the information that we're always talking about, right? Those game variables. And then beyond that, it's looking at, okay, well, this is the way that I want the team to play in line with the principles. And what are the characteristics that I want my players to have within this? Because that's fundamental too, right? And then, you know, in terms of creating that game model, you need to understand if these are the patterns of play that we want to see often recur within our game model there's certain characteristics and, uh, and, and profile of player that we're going to need to have to be able to operate and actually bring those things out to out, out to life so that's probably the next piece and then what does it mean for you and how does it then impact you and influence your game model if you don't have that player profile or have those characteristics within the team because fundamentally that's going to change the way you want to play as well or well, at least it should because you can't you're not going to you know, you're not going to be able to operate in the way that you want to because you haven't got the tools to do it, if you like. Um, so, yeah, you know, kind of there's a little bit in terms of just sharing my, you know, my views and thoughts on just building on what you said there, really. I don't know if there's anything that kind of stands out that you want to kind of pick up on. Well, there is because it, it's, I love it. I think this is great. And as I was thinking about where did I start when I was creating some of the, the frameworks that I've, I've, I've done at various clubs... There's something you said there earlier, you know, when you, you quoted Bruce Lee. And there's another one that you said earlier, which made me think about, uh, it was weeks ago, you probably won't remember it when we were talking offline. But um, it's that quote of, no man ever steps in the same river twice. For it's not the same river and it's not the same man. And it was, it was like a, a famous sort of quote by Heraclitus. And I just think it's... That's like my view, if you like, of of the game. Like it, it, he's so different, you know. And if you listen to even Arteta this week and and um, other coaches, they're talking about this unpredictability. I mean, we, did you did you see that one, Yaz? When Arteta said he's got X number of variations and all this, and if I get up at six o'clock and I go this road, if I go here this road, and did you see that one? No, I haven't seen that. No. So he did an interview. I'll, I'll, I'll share the, the clip with everyone. And he's basically used an example of, you know, if I, if I wake up at six o'clock and I take this road, I do this, but then I get a flat tyre and I do this. Or if I go this route, I know I can't take that road because it's busy and it's a school run, so I have to go this road into, um, into the stadium or whatever. And what he's referring to is like the unpredictable of the game. Yes, you can plan for things. Yes, you can do your homework. You can do your position analysis. You can try and identify certain trends and certain habits. But ultimately, because he was asked, you know, are you going to play the 
the same lineup that worked before, you're going to repeat that and things like that. And he's like, well, no, no, because it's different. You know, this is different. It's ever-changing. It's unpredictable. And because of that, that led me to think about, well, what's my, like, game style or what's my philosophy, my, my, my statement of intent that outlines how we want to play? So you said that before, like, starting with, how do you want your team to play in these moments? So I think that's a good place to start. It's like once you have that belief of how you want to work or how you view the world or the game, well, then, well, what's that phrase? What's that that philosophical statement, if you like, that underpins everything? Because there has to be a vision. So, you know, for me, I've for years it's evolved because it, it started out in a different version when I was at Rochdale and through different roles it's evolved over time. And effectively, I've got this uh, statement which is exciting an effective possession-based approach focusing on our collective ability to play in the future in order to create and prevent goals with a value being unable to operate under changing circumstances. That, to me, is how I want my teams to play. I want them because we're in the entertainment business, so we want to be exciting. We want to entertain people that are watching, not only enjoy the game as players themselves, but you want to be effective and efficient in possession, recognising when there's times to be individual, when there's times to combine when necessary in order to score goals and prevent goals. Because that's the game. The game's based on, you know, you have to score more goals than the opposition to win the game. But with a value being on operating under changing circumstances, well, for me, that underpins everything. Because what if you go 1-0 down? What if you get a man sent off? What if you whatever, whatever? You know, so you have to be able to have this adaptable. And then, you know, what you said there, yeah, sorry, I see your hand up. I'll stop in a sec. Is when, when you talked about that game model and you said, right, and then list off your principles. That's exactly what I did. So then I'd go into like attacking. Um, and people have probably seen the wheel that I've shared on, on Twitter. But like if it's attacking, I went, right, what, what are the things that I want to do? Like what can operate under different circumstances? Because depending on how the opposition press us, or not, as the case may be, that's going to influence where we can play through or not, or around or over. So breaking lines was one. Playing forward was one. Finding the free player, finishing the attack, you know, dominating the attack. Like These were sort of scenarios and, and actions and principles that occurred within that. And then, obviously, I went into like every other facet. And, and I think that's where coaches have got, to, have got to think about this. Sorry, as I see you got your hand up. Yeah, just really quickly before I forget, it was just basically saying, you know, you use that phrase, you know, how you view the game. Um, and it just made me think, it's all well and good us having that view of the game or, you you know, coaches having a view of the game, but how do the players view it? How does it align to their thoughts and their understanding, their perception of the game? And, you know, I think it's really important you know, that, that if I were now think about this, where do I start in creating my game model? I think it depends also on the context, right? Because if I'm in an environment where I'm already there and I'm looking to build it out and, and, and develop it further, then, well, I probably need the players on the side to help me inform, to help inform what that's going to look like. Um, I think it's slightly different, obviously, if you're in an environment where the game model's already in, you know, it's already been implemented and you've got new players coming into the process because obviously then you need to start getting them to align themselves to it. But I think, it depends on where you are and what stage of the journey in, in developing this pre-piece you are as well. So I just wanted to add that in there. No, no, it's a good point. And of course, like 
I think it's something that's always evolving, isn't it? I mean, there's going to be structures in place and ultimately there will be people listening who are like, hey, hang on a minute, the game's a game. Like, even when the ECBB came out and, you know, everyone was plastering the DNA and the, the, the wheel and the transition and it looked really cool and sexy and everyone was putting their own spin on it and everyone had their philosophy, if you like. And you could have probably looked at every academy in the country. I'm sure Tony would agree. And pretty much most, it was the same, you know. Or there might have been the odd word change here and there, but virtually everyone's talking about, you know, we want to play through the furs, we want to we want to dominate possession, we want to dominate and outplay the opponent, we want to do this, we want to do that. And that's great, you know, or dominate your 1v1s or whatever. And then how does that influence your game model? Um, but I think it, it comes back to the how, doesn't it? You know, because the players that we're working with, how do they exactly as you just said? How do they interpret this, and what? How does that look based on their game, their age, their stage, their format? Whether they're seventy-seven, ninety-nine, or eleven v eleven, or five v five, or whatever. You know, because these are all factors, aren't they? You know, because we had like a the the game model, if you like, we created around. Uh, and I say we because I think that's another important factor you touched on briefly, is these concepts are a lot more powerful when you have that discussion with the players. So if we're able to involve them in that process and co-design, you're going to get far more buy-in. I know a lot of the stuff that, you know, I reference US soccer because I'm an educator with them as well and I'm here in the US. They've done a really good job of actually bringing in players and having those discussions around language or coaches who have gone through various courses to almost co-design what that looks like so that everyone's pretty clear on what the, the model looks like that, that that's relevant to them in their context. And I think that then makes it easier when you're talking about coaching. Um, so that's something that people have to think about because ultimately this is going to shape how we should train. We're not just training or coaching players for the sake of it. We should be working on our principles that reinforce our idea of how the game should be played or can be played in those in those unpredictable moments. So I think like, you know, I looked at it from the adult lens of senior level, in possession, we're either building up and scoring, or when we're out of possession, we're defending, we're disturbing and regaining. So these languages are important, right? The verbiage, it's its really important. We're either building up and scoring or we're disturbing and regaining. So then what are the, what, what are the sort of phases of play, if you like, that, that go in that? So at the adult level, I looked at it, and I'm sure you've seen it, Yaz, of those, like, you know, we're building the attack, we're creating the attack, we're finishing the attack or whatever. I just looked at it as build up, which is obviously close to our goal, and just outside of our penalty area, in that sort of middle-ish area, the third, going into the opponent's half, rotation and balance, because you, you tend to see a lot of movements, or you'll need to have different types of movements, whilst always trying to keep in shape when you've got the ball, to, to unlock those spaces, because opposition might drop into a block, a mid-block, or a mid-block to, to be able to jump into a platform for a high press. It's, they're going to make it difficult for you. And then as you're getting closer to their, um, in their half and closer to the final, their, you know, your final third, their defensive third, if you like, it's you, you're playing against that low block 
out of possession, potentially. Well, how are you penetrating the block? And then how are you finishing the attack? And of course, if you're finishing in and around their goal, potentially out of possession, the counter principle or counter phase to that would be like emergency defending, blocking shots, stopping crosses, putting your body on the line. And then I thought, you know, to your last context, Yaz, um, and then we'll get the speaker in as well, which is great because we want that interaction, is I was thinking, well, what does that look like as a game model for young players? Because that's the adult game. But equally, we don't want to bring like premature professionalism. So in that moment of, of building up and scoring, I just looked at it as build the attack, dominate the attack and finish the attack. Building the attack meaning that everything from our goal line to the halfway line in our own half, how do we build the attack? How do we find creative solutions to progress the ball forward? Because ultimately we have to go forward at some point. When we go over the halfway line and we're in the opponent's half, it's how do we dominate the attack? So it's about controlling possession in their half to move the opposition to create goals. And then obviously finishing the attack, which is finding easy ways to score goals. And on the flip side of that, you'd have obviously preventing the attack, which is disrupting the the opponent from building up, protecting the half and protecting your goal, or defend the space, defend the goal. Now, those languages, I think it creates a visual, like a clear roadmap, if you like, of the player's journey up and down the field, right? And then within that game model, you've got those moments of attacking, defending, transition, etc. And you can start to list off your principles. Well, if we were in attacking transition, we're going from defence to attack and we've just won the ball. You know, what are some of the things that always exist? Well, can it be that, can we switch play? Do we count or do we rebuild? Because you'd always have to counter-attack. Are we in a position where we can counter? Because you don't want to, you don't want to count, you know, get countered on whilst you're trying to counter. So probably one of the first principles is securing the first pass, right? And then, of course, from that, you've got that model. You've then got your your idea of, like, what are some of the good actions and decisions that players can do. But ultimately, I think, this model has to be flexible for any player or any coach to, to be able to work with their players in such a way that players can instantly pick it up and go, you know, let's just play. You know, because I think if it's too comprehensive or too rigid, you, you're on more patterns. And then when you go down that road, you're becoming more predictable. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that last bit, Yaz, before we, we hand over to Paddy. Yeah, I just think on that last thing, it's, it's exactly what you said, right? I think you, you become more predictable because I think the patterns in themselves, like I said, they're in, they're in response to something, right? So, unless you're completely ignoring that the fact that they are a response to something or that they're a an appropriate response to something, then you're just going to be, it's going to be so predictable. You know, it'll be easy to read what you're doing. It'll be a bit easy for opportunity opposition to pick up on what you're doing and just set traps for you, I guess. Um, so I think, yeah, it's quite straightforward, but I think you've got to recognise that the game is ever-changing. Um, no moment is the same. You know, so if you go back to the quote, you said, you know, the man, I can't remember how it went now, but, you know, the man in the river is not the same man in the river, essentially, because by that point, something has changed. The variables are different. There's, they've gone through some sort of, uh, they've been influenced in some way, they've grown in some way, or, they, or they've regressed or progressed in, in some way. So I think looking at that perspective, from that perspective, and I think just going back to, like I said, the, the Bruce Lee quote, my technique is in response to your technique. Um, 
you have to respond to what's in front of you and not just force it if you force force what it is that you're going after if that makes sense save big on your memorial day barbecue all in the kroger app get three pound rolls of juicy 80 percent lean ground beef for 349 a pound with a digital coupon then get select varieties of flavorful powerade body armor super drink or arizona tea for 77 cents each all with your card shop these deals at your local kroger today or tap the screen now to download the kroger app to save big today kroger fresh for everyone Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Because um, it's not going to get nowhere. So, yeah, no. Nah, great, great points there. Paddy, good evening. How are you? Going to have to take yourself off mute, mate. Sorry. Oh, hey, there you go. Hey, mate, how you doing? Yeah, very well fixed yourself. Yeah, not bad, mate. Um, this one's kind of for Tony. Um, if your game model or philosophy is kind of in conflict when you work with a professional club and that professional club has a certain philosophy or game model that they want you to coach along, how would Tony kind of deal with that situation? Tony, that's a great question for you. Are you ready? He's falling asleep on the sofa, honey. <laughs> or any of the lads that are any other are at a pro a pro academy, really. I'll, I'll bring Tony in a second, but could you just repeat the question again, Paddy? What if your game model or philosophy is in conflict with a pro club you're working at and their game model or philosophy? It's a great question. I think the first and foremost for me, if just going off about my experience, just speaking to other coaches as well, you've got to be in an environment that you, you can align yourself with. Now, there has to be some common ground. It can't be completely, you know, different because fundamentally, if it is, I don't know how well you're going to be able to implement it. Mm-hmm. Um, there has to be some alignment there, but there's also got to be some flexibility and adaptability, right? In the fact that it's not going to be your way because you're not, it's not your club. Mm-hmm. It's their club, so you'll have to operate within their system. But I think there's a great opportunity there for coaches to learn and grow and develop. Um, and just a side note on what you, on the question itself and where, where it took my mind straight away is there's actually another really key piece here, right? It's, well, are the coaches good enough to even input more? Maybe not good enough is the right, right way to put it, but, but are the coaches even competent to actually deliver the message of the club or are they too busy focusing on their own message? Just, to, just something to think about there as well. But Tony, mm-hmm. over to you, man. Good evening. I've never been requested before. This is the first in, uh, first for everything in football, it would appear. Um, yeah, it's um, it's a, a really interesting question um, because Yaz has really uh, responded it, it probably in the same way that I would. If, for example, um, I'm a coach who wants to play a certain way and I apply for a job at any pro club, let's let's say Man City. My if my way is different to theirs, I'd be as the as the person doing the recruiting, I'd be saying, well, why have you applied for a job here? Why are we, you know, you 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 know who we are, you know what we are, you know what we do, and yet you want to get out of there. Sorry, my dog's trying to nick stuff out of the bin. Get out. Um, it's um, it's it's a question 
that I've probably in 20 years working in pro clubs, you've only really had to deal with once where we had a, a certain coach who was very enamoured with uh, a foreign coach who played a certain way. Um, but, you know, we at the time we were a, a mid-table League One club. Our first team were never going to be able to play like that because we can't recruit £50 million fullbacks and £50 million centre-halves. So we we clearly set out what our game model was. This is the way that we're going to play in possession. This is the way we're going to play out of possession. There is a little bit of licence and a little bit of freedom within that, but you need to stick to certain basic principles. And one of them principles, for example, isn't taking goal kicks, um, playing backwards towards your own goal line. Um, but this particular coach kept going with it, kept going with it, kept going with it. And, and ultimately, we had to have a meeting. Look, you, you, you came to us, you know what we are, you know what we do, and yet you're still trying to do this thing which realistically only benefits you as a coach. It doesn't benefit the players because that's not going to be their experience going forward. Totally on that note, do you feel that... Because it, it's that fine balance, isn't it? Yes, you want to develop players to... To, to try and solve these problems, find ways to play out from the attack. I'm I'm trying to obviously put the pieces together of what you were, you were talking about, so I can just imagine how he's getting them to to build the attack. Are they, is it going to look like that in the first team? You know, I remember having this conversation at one of my old clubs where the first team were just total opposite to everything that we were building in the academy. But then, is there a counter argument there that we have a duty of care as youth coaches, whatever level we're at? academy grassroots to develop these players you know for whoever wherever they may go versus a prescriptive not prescriptive that's the wrong word like a pathway that goes straight to the the first team but that first team or that manager or that head coach is likely going to change you know so it'll be a different idea in the future I don't know your thoughts are on that yeah a totally valid point because our our job, if you like, as coach developers in an academy, um, is to give players that um, that broad, broad an experience as possible. So we would do things, for example, like we'd play twelve weeks for the back three, we'd play twelve weeks for the back four, three in midfield, and then we'd play the next twelve weeks with the back four and four in midfield in in a diamond or, or flat. And try and develop that experience that way, um, rather than try and turn York City players, Scunthorpe United players, Doncaster Rovers players into Barcelona players. We're going to give them the fundamentals, we're going to give them the basics, we're then going to build on that and try and make them tactically, technically better, tactically more astute, um, try and develop problem solvers, but ultimately... um, and I use this expression quite a lot, and it's not meant to be in a disparaging way. If you fall out of the tree at a League Two or a League One club, there aren't that many branches that catch you on the way down to slow down your fall. If you fall out of the tree at Man United, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, there's all sorts of branches that are going to break your fall. So, you know, I think that... If, if you look at the way that some pro clubs at the minute 
are developing their players. Look at the ones that Man City have just sold in the last few weeks. A keeper with no Premier League experience for 40-odd million pound. Another couple of players for 40 and 35 million pound. You know, those... Not many of us, unless you know, I could be, I, I, I could be wrong. Not many of us are going to work with that level of talent. Now, that level of talent needs a uh, maybe a, a better level of coach than I am or or any of us are. At the same time, that could make your job easier working with those talented players because you don't have to spend so much time on the fundamentals. They may have a better grasp of of technical and tactical matters. So. It's a tough one. It is. I mean, it's. It, I'm just thinking right now out loud, which is like we, we're developing these players, even at grassroots level. That you've probably seen it yourself because you've literally been through that coaching education where you, you've shaped a lot of the coaches all over the country, haven't you? From like the old prelims, the level ones, level twos, to what is now like the new new courses. You'll have seen the introduction of the youth awards and that transition obviously you did your AYA so you've seen that sort of paradigm shift you can probably see it even at grassroots level there's a lot of coaches now maybe some a bit silly trying to coach like Guardiola but the, the the way that the game I remember playing grassroots in England and getting told stupid comments like if in doubt kick it out like I still remember that as a kid where that was my coach he said hey if in doubt kick it out or whatever now, I'm sure that that will still go on. I'm not saying it isn't. But now I'm watching grassroots coaches all over and I'm hearing them shout at parents for telling them to get rid of it. And they're like, no, we don't want them to get rid of it. We want to play our way out. No, we don't want to just concede a corner of throwing. We want to find a... So I'm thinking, well, is that not good? Because they're not going to, to your point, they're not going to develop or even maybe perhaps work with players of that 40 million or whatever stupid you know, price tag. Yeah. But do we not have a duty of care that we've got to see and view the game differently? So if we've got this game model, is it perhaps restrictive, you know, putting a ceiling above what we think the player's potential is? Because how many of us have seen it where, like, look at Deserbi, and maybe that's not a good example to use, I don't know, but you look at coaches who've gone in, I'm sure you've seen loads of them in your time, and other people have gone, oh, these players are crap. They play for Doncaster, they play for Rochdale. Look at, I know Keyfield's probably a bad example now, but Keyfield at Rochdale was outstanding. He's working with that level of talent, but he had them playing football and playing against Tottenham, against Potocino, building like a Guardiola team. Now, you'll get coaches who go into clubs and they are getting these players who supposedly can't play that way because they're not good enough, but they're, they're doing it in the turn it around. And you look at Deserby at Brighton, so do you not think that, I'm trying to play devil's advocate here, that actually you can, because there's coaches at grassroots level, there's coaches that, that we can actually turn them and coach them differently and give them a wider view of, of that creative model, because that'll take the game to another level, maybe them. I, I'm just interested in your thoughts. Yeah, there's, listen, there's nothing wrong with what you said, it's all... It's all good stuff. The, the the point about stopping parents from shouting those old mantras, which you know they had a place, and 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 some of those, some of those things were due to a lack of education. Some of that is down to people with a win at all costs mentality, and there has been a shift in in the stand the, the standard of coaching from a behavioural perspective. Has it got better from a 
technical perspective, I would argue the answer is no, because we still don't teach technique. It, it's largely left to chance. Are coaches better educated tactically? Well, the, the information is certainly out there if people want to go and look for it to, to help them to become better and, and have greater understanding. People are using VO to, to educate themselves and their players and, and other you know, methods of filming games. And so, yeah, there shouldn't be a ceiling. There shouldn't be a limit. The limit will always be uh, probably twofold, in my opinion. One is the ability of the players that you get to work with. The second one is the ability of the coach. You know, what's the coach's uh, ability to take you further? So, you know, when I've worked in pro clubs, I've been, I've, I've gone as far as taking the reserve team, the men's reserve team, when I've been an academy coach. And sometimes that's because they think you're good enough. Sometimes it's because the assistant manager can't be asked to drive to Gateshead on a Tuesday night when it's chucking it down with rain. So they send somebody from the youth team. But people have said to me, you know, could you, with your coaching knowledge, go in and, and take the first team? And my answer has always been, yes, I probably could, because I'd like to think that I'm a football coach and I understand the game and I understand, you know, the, the human side of it as well. You know, I'm not going to go in there, though, and try and impress somebody who's played 300 league games when I haven't played one. So you have to know your own capability and your own limit in that respect. Yes, we've got a game model. This is what it is. Really simple. When we've got the ball, we're going to try and build out the back, play through over or around their press. When we get into the middle, you can be a little bit more creative, but can, can we get the ball into the final third quickly and safely? And then when we get in the final third, can we create chances and, and tuck them away? That, for me, that's the game in a nutshell. You know, that's just the in-possession stuff, obviously. And uh, again, I... Uh, off the back of conversations like this and some other stuff that, that's been going on on Twitter um, over the last few weeks, I decided to, to create a couple of templates which kind of expand on this and, and, and really tested my thinking, challenged my thinking, because I've all, I, we've talked about this before. I created these roles and responsibilities charts that I... Um, give out but it's like the right so if you're the right back and this is what we want you to do some further thinking deeper thinking got me to say well what if the right back finds himself in centre mid does he know what to do so I did these things for in possession and out possession based on where you and the ball are not where you're supposed to play so, so you know even now at 61 years of age and not being involved in the pro game just doing some part-time coaching in, in the JPL you know, I want to still get better at what I do and I want to try and make my players better at what they do so that I can pass them on to an academy um, safe in the knowledge that they're as educated as they can be. I love that because it's like the, even at your age and your experience, even how you're reflecting on your journey, but how to continuously grow and, you, and you're recognising that things change. I like that you talked about that last point about not necessarily the position, but where they are in that moment on the field. I mean, that's a, that's just really powerful. I mean, I, without going off on a, a different direction, Yaz, I was just going to ask Tony real quick and, and anyone else who wants to chime in. 
Um, you know, you talked about that, and it is a debate at the minute about the technique, right? And that are we getting better at this? And because this is a part of that game model, and it's part of everything in terms of how we teach and view the game. And, he's, and you suggested that you know you don't feel we're, we're getting better at this; we're almost leaving it to chance. But do you not feel that there's a counter argument to that? That you know, because there's that statement like before there was an emphasis on, and you'll have been a part of this journey before us. You know, where like you Stephen Gerrards of the world and your Owens and all that. Like before, it was the Howard Webb, wasn't it? Charter for standard, and you had uh, quality, whatever. It was centres yeah, of excellence and academies, wasn't it? Right. And you had like those players that were coming through, but how many got through despite of the system, like in spite of the system? Um, obviously, we don't talk about the graveyard and the dead bodies that didn't get through. Whereas now, there's a you know since each up here, I know it gets a lot of flack. There's certainly a lot of positives to it as well. There's a lot of players that are applying the trade in the Bundesliga or wherever. And there are, like, I mean, I just look at Jude Bellingham, like, but, you know, Jude Bellingham's taking Madrid by storm. And he was developed at Birmingham with Dodzy and people like that. And has he come out of that influence with the AYA and things like that? Probably, you know, potentially, you could argue, right? And there's a lot of players like that that are improving the standard of the game. So is it arguable that this thing around technique, you know, we might not be coaching technique as much but are they becoming more skillful adapt like more skillful performers because of that i don't know i'm just, I'm just throwing it out there tony because it again you've got the unique option that you can see it from both lenses you know yeah i'm just going to just chime in there really quickly Joe. i think it's really important here um people like jude bellingham i i, I know people that knew jude bellingham when he was like 10 11 12 now it's interesting. I was a conversation recently about this type of you know players like Jude Bellingham. If they were that good, do you not think they would have? They would, they've, they've gone and made it regardless of the coaching. Yes, of course, coaches have supported them and helped them develop. But cream rises to the top, and it always will. And I think that you know, there's always been players that have come through. I don't think it's necessarily down to a specific coach or a way that they've been coached. And I think there's specific things, obviously, that have happened. They might have had an influence in them. They might have raised their awareness. and might have opened their mind up to different things. But, but is the quality coming through better now, though, Yaz and T? Well, you... it depends on what you identify as quality, right? Because there's two parts to it. I think we're, too, I think we're seeing nowadays, I think we're too, seeing too much of the same player. It's too much of the same individual. Everyone seems to think that they can play play out from the back like Pep Guardiola and Man City. And every single academy is trying to develop players in that way. But yet, how many of those players are ever going to play in that way when they get into their first team? How many of their first team players can even play like that, let alone bloody players coming through now? So I think it's really important to kind of highlight that. And it's, it's cream of the crop, right? How many of those players actually go on and play in the Premier League and actually have a sustained career in it? Not many, because a lot of the Premier League players are coming from abroad anyway, whether rightly or wrongly. But I think they're better; they're probably better technicians across the board. Um, are they genuinely better players? I'm not sure. You know, and it's, it's, it's a subjective argument and subjective discussion to have, right? But I'm not really sure there is. I'm not really sure because if they're the outliers, aren't they? Did that again, sorry, son? They're the outliers. They uh, you know, they're, they're always going to be there. Yeah. Either, you know what I mean you, 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 it, it is what it is I mean we'd all like to think that we've had a part to play in the development of some players have we really we might have helped them with something we might have made something a bit more clearer and less foggy for them but 
if they were going to make it, they were going to make it regardless. And you've even seen on the flip side of that, you've got some outstanding technical players that haven't done anything with their careers, haven't even had a career. But they would argue, say, oh, you know, the coach would say, oh, yeah, I helped that player become a great technician. Yeah, but he didn't make it as a pro, so are you still going to lay claim to that one? So I think it's a really, you know, really important discussion in terms of actually can, we can talk about this way of coaching, that way of coaching. We can talk about what the players actually need, but fundamentally, we're never going to be able to prove what actually works and what doesn't work. And that I think that's the beauty of what we're doing, right? There's many ways to skin the cat, so to speak. But I think fundamentally, are we doing it in a way that is well-informed? And are we actually clear on why we're doing it the way we're doing it? Um, I think definitely there's some there's been some massive developments in terms of player development as a whole. I think we've definitely got better athletes than maybe we had 10, 15 years ago. I think the game is a lot quicker now. Um, and that, that, that goes for both the male and the female game. I think they're more well-rounded as individuals and players. Um, but are they actually better players? I'm not 100% sure. And I think it's obviously so subjective because, you know, we're all from different generations as well, right? We're all going to have an appreciation for different capabilities, different qualities and different skill sets. So I think there's that there's that piece in there as well. Um and not just not just in terms of what we see from players, but in terms of what we identify as positive and effective and impactful coaching. So I think there's so much in there in that, you know, without going too far off topic, when we're looking at the game model, has has the game model really changed? Has has your approach to what the game should look like really changed? Has as as how many ways of looking at the game are there really? You know, if we we'll go back to the start start of the conversation and look at the basis of what we're doing here, where do I start with my game model? What is it? It's only really a fundamental, one fundamental principle, right? And I think, Gerard, you nailed it on the head. I hit the nail on the head with it. Well, my job is to stop you from scoring more than I have. And if, I, if, if we're all adhering to that, then I think that's the only thing that really matters. I think all the other stuff is just um, different ways of driving the vehicle or, or different vehicles to take on the journey, if you like. Yeah, it's, that's absolutely correct. I think that as many people as watch the game will have their own ideas, uh, but ultimately um, it is about scoring more than the opposition. Um, you look at, uh, it was interesting because I, I had the game on uh, the other night, was it uh, Burnley? And they harked back to Norwich when Norwich, the last time Norwich got up in the Premier League, that they only had one style of play Um and it might have been pleasing on the eye, but they were getting hammered every week and got relegated. Um, that game model it, it was great for Man City. It was great for Norwich in the Championship, but actually in the Premier League, it didn't work. Um, and they were saying the same about um, about Burnley the other night that you know company can't afford to stick to its principles, otherwise you won't have a job. Um, so. Do they need to change their game model for specific games? Uh, and maybe they do. Um, I had a, a kind of a thought a few weeks ago about Luton when they obviously they've only played a couple of games so far. You know, if Luton had decided, look, we're going to go up to the Premier League, little old Luton, and we're just going to smash it along like Wimbledon did back in the day, in the hope that we can survive, because nobody in the Premier League has has seen that, has witnessed that, and if that tactic works for them. It might be absolutely horrendous to watch, but their owner, their fans, they won't give a toss because they'll still be in the Premier League next year. You're spot on, Ton. It's absolutely spot on. It is. Um, 
it's everyone's got a different different agenda, right? The coach could say, I want my team to play this way. The fans might want their team to play a certain way. The bottom line is this. The coach has got a job to keep. The chairman's got money to make. It is what it is. So I think it's finding a happy, happy medium. I think you made a great point there. Is it about changing the game model from game to game? Well, well fundamentally, if that if that is what it is, which is very, you know, plausible, then is there really a game model? Or is it just principles that we're working to and come back to that quote of Bruce Lee? If my technique responds to yours. Go for it, G. No, that's exactly where I was going to ask that question now to the group, which is, is the game model something that changes every game? Or is it something that's fixated, permanent, you know, and that's how we always play? That's, that, that's where my head's going now. Can I, can I check if you're still listening? Did I answer your question or is there anything that you want me to clarify? Yeah, adapt and overcome, mate. Is that the answer? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good old... Um, having spent a lot of my uh, a lot of my time in the army, that is, that's a really good phrase to, for every coach to have. Mm. Whether it's you've forgotten to pump your balls up, whether you've planned for 16 and 9 turn up, you do have to adapt and overcome, and in in football as well as life. And and like, you know, if we start out, I've just I've I've shared some sessions out earlier on, and this is something that we've decided that we're going to do as a club. So if whoever we're playing in the JPL next week decide that they're going to look at my sessions on Twitter and adapt their game, yeah, fine, great stuff. But give me something to think about on a Saturday. Um, and I'll have to get around it and you'll have to find a way to solve the problems that we might pose for you. So, yeah, you can have principles. You can have your own principles in life, but you'll you'll also have your principles of play. Uh, if you then have to switch your principles of play, you'd have to change your principles of life. You can still be a good person. You can still be a good coach. But if you have to change your principles of play within the game, maybe one of the biggest things that we all need in our game model is a, a phrase that's, that's something to do with having the sense and tactical flexibility to change your game model at a at the drop of a hat. So do you think that all this stuff on philosoph- philosophies and game model is a little bit generic and a, a little bit kind of they're like in phrases and in in vogue where the you know the the game is the game and the principles of play are what they are and then you adapt around that in game situations yeah yeah there's a hundred percent there's a lot of that around um and we've spoke about that on these twitter spaces before over the last you know weeks and months you know um the hipster coaches who come out with all the new language mm. and they, they're trying to reinvent the wheel. Well, the game has never changed. Yeah. The rules or the laws of the game sometimes change within the game. But the game is no different now to what it was when they first put crossbars on instead of tape. Mm-hmm. Score at one end, don't score at the other end, or don't let the opposition score at the mm-hmm. other end. Everything in between is fluff, frills, flashing lights. Call it what you want. The only thing that matters at the end of the day, if we, if we're, if we take the development argument out of it, is the score. Otherwise, we wouldn't keep score. Mm. 
I love it. I think this is a great debate. Really, really good. Really powerful. Um, Yaz, I don't know if there's anything else from you, just as we're wrapping up. All I was going to say was, you know, obviously, if there's any more questions, keep them coming, because this is what we want. We want this interaction. We want this sort of authenticity to the conversation, which everyone who's who's joined in has, has brought, which is amazing. Um, I'm going to share a link to the self-reflection task because these series of Twitter spaces or X, I guess they call it now, it is accredited through Middlesex FA. So as soon as you complete this self-reflection form, which is a series of questions based around what you took away from, from tonight's discussion, that will give you the eligibility of a one-hour CPD. And this is part of a, a series that myself and Yaz are doing and build up uh, to a webinar on September 19th, which is a two-hour accredited webinar on developing a game model, which would be really cool for everyone to, to check out. Um, so I'll share that link with everyone now. And, and again, you know, the reflection is basically what were your key takeaways or anything that's still swirling around that you're not sure about. Or perhaps it could be, you know, what's made sense to you, what's really squared off and, and that type of thing. Yes, Tony. Yeah, just a quick one. If if anybody's interested, and you know, it, it's really down to you. I will post those um, those things that I was talking about earlier on the in possession and out possession uh, position, depending on where the ball is. I, I, I'll post them up um, shortly on uh, on my Twitter, and uh, if people want them, um, have a look at them. Feel free to give me some feedback, whether you like it or not. Um, whether you would use it or not, whether you think it's too complicated. Um, you know, I, I, some, I shared something or somebody else shared something of mine earlier on and then started asking me for permission to, to share it to other people. Um, same as I said to him, if I put something on Twitter, then I expect people to share it, retweet it as far as it'll go. Um, be a magpie, be a thief. Uh, it'll make you a better coach in the end. No, I love that, Tony. That's all. Please share because I'd be interested even for myself. So that's amazing. Defo, let's do it. And then, Yaz, anything from you? All I was going to say was we've got the, the webinar on September 19th. Um, we can share a link on that as well. But that's a, a, another great opportunity for people to, to sign up, you know, gain two hours of CPD and join in discussions like we're having tonight where we agree on some stuff, we disagree on other stuff. But ultimately, we're, we're sharing ideas and like Tony just said there, you know, you're stealing things from each other and we're learning and growing. Anything from your end, Jazz? Yeah, just to kind of just tail on and add on, um, I think it's great to see that we've had some good interaction today and then you see some new faces in the group as well. So guys, just continue continue to engage with us. Make sure you follow myself and Joad um, and everyone else in the chat as well. You know, there's a great network that we're building here and there's, some, there's a great opportunity, obviously, part of the network and getting some CPDRs in the process. So um, keep following us, keep engaging. And let us know your thoughts. And if there's any topics and discussions that you want to hear on in the future, please do let us know on that front as well. Um, and for anyone that hasn't caught the whole of this conversation, you can also catch it on the Coaches Network podcast or just replay it here on Twitter or X, whichever one it is coming up for you. As, um, but no, I think some great conversations, great, point, great points tonight. But um, just keep working hard, everyone. Good evening, everyone. Take care. And we'll see you guys next week. Well, there you have it guys, another episode of the Coaches Network Podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. 
And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Network. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.